Brother AJ, that was something. That was great. I'm really impressed to see this many people here today. You know, I just don't know about the fourth, what's going to happen. You know, when AJ read the preamble to the Declaration of Independence, I don't know if it struck you with what a revolutionary document that is. I mean, revolutionary. We, You know, when I was a little guy, I didn't think of the founding fathers as being revolutionary. Those guys were amazing. Uh, we are really blessed with having in our nation people that for a long time have stood for what they thought was right. And they have stood fiercely for it. When they said that they laid it all on the line, they laid it all on the line. And uh, you ought to read that. You ought to be familiar with it. You ought to read the Declaration of Independence. You ought to read the Constitution. You ought to read the Bill of Rights. There's no documents in the world like that. And uh, we should... Uh, we, we should know it. All of us should be familiar with those things. I have told you this before. When I was a battalion commander, I made my entire battalion, 500 men, to read the Constitution of the United States. And they were like, what do we have to read that for? And I said, you have sworn to defend it. You ought to know what's in it. And a lot of guys said that they had never read it before. And I would say a lot of you probably, a lot of you, if not, I, I encourage you, just, you can get it off the internet. You ought to read the Constitution. It's not hard. It'll take you 30 minutes. You may not understand much of it, but it's, it's really good. And, uh, there's a lifetime of work that went into that. I want to talk today about real freedom. We've talked about political freedom as a nation and we should be, we should celebrate that. What, what a blessed people we are. And I jotted down some things that, uh, we have freedom in our nation that no other nation enjoys. So here's, here's just a few. Our list of personal freedoms is almost endless. Almost endless. We can choose where we live. We, we take that for granted. We can move whenever we want. We could go to Vermont and live or go to North Dakota. It, you want to, you take off. It's good. The government doesn't care. Uh, we can choose how we spend our time, where we work. You can work in a job, and if you don't like that job, you can quit and leave and go get another job, or you can sit home. The government doesn't care. We we can go to school wherever we want, if we want to go to school or if we want to stay home. The government only says you have to be 16 before you can decide. We can choose who we marry, how many children we want to have. We can choose what doctor we can see, generally. We can choose whether we want to be treated and how we want to be treated with medical care. We can choose your vacation spot. If you choose to go on vacation, if you want to stay home, you can stay home. The government doesn't care. In the old Soviet Union, if you bought a car, and and this was this was really funny, if you in all of Eastern Europe and the old Soviet Union and in several countries today in Eastern Europe, if you buy a car, you go to the dealership and you pay them the money. They say a car costs this amount of money. Well, what color? doesn't matter what color. It's this, this kind of car right here. You pay this money, and we'll call you when it's ready. And so you pay in full. Four, five, six months later, they call you, and you see what kind of car you got. And that's what you get. Can you imagine that today? I mean, look at the choice we have. You can say virtually anything you want to say about somebody because we have protected speech. Our government has no interest in what you wear, how you cut your hair, how you decorate your home. 
our list of freedoms just go on and on and on. It's staggering when we think about it. And, of course, here today we have the freedom of worship. We have the freedom to come here and worship. We can worship God any way that we choose. We can choose not to worship God. We could go in a forest and worship God if we wish, or we can come here. And there's no police or no no person going to interfere with our worship. The Constitution protects you and me from being in this place. In fact, when I was in the military, uh, there was an issue that arose in the Army after the war started, and there were soldiers who were of the pagan faith and of the Wiccan faith, and when they died in combat... They, their families petitioned to have the Wiccan symbol on their tombstone. And for a while, the army said, we just don't have the Wiccan symbol. And they said, well, we'll get it for you. And then they, there was obviously some discomfort. But you know what? They started putting it on their tombstones because that's their freedom to do it. And what was interesting about the Wiccans is that they petitioned then, shortly after that, they petitioned the army to be able to worship on military bases. And some of their worship sometimes involved nudity. And the army said, okay, you can do it. You just can't do it where anybody can see you. So you have to go hide somewhere or go out in the woods where nobody will find you. And you can do that. you got to be careful. But our freedom from our freedom of religion gives us almost unlimited freedom to do what we want. Contrast our country with a country like North Korea. Here are some things that I found out about North Korea. They have almost no personal freedom. They cannot choose what job they have. If the government gives them a job, they cannot quit. They cannot change jobs. They cannot choose their haircut. Men have to have a certain haircut. They cannot choose their school. They go to school where they're told. If they're told not to go to school, they can't go to school. They are told where to live. The government can forcibly move a family. They can come up one day and say, we're moving you somewhere else. They don't have to tell anybody or give you any warning. They have no protection. The government requires them that after a day of work, now how would you like this, after a day of work, in their neighborhoods, they have to gather and sing praises to their leader. How would you like that? And then everybody who doesn't look like they're having a big time, they can turn them in and they can get in trouble for it. They're encouraged to snitch on their neighbors and say bad things about them. That say bad things. They can't contact anyone out of the country. That's illegal. They can't speak out against the government or any of its leaders. There's no protection against anything the government chooses to do to them. They must put in all their homes three pictures of the leaders of North Korea for the last 50 or 60 years. They have to maintain those pictures in decent order. You have to be attractive. You can't let them get scratched up or dusty or dirty. You have to keep them cleaned off. They will actually come in homes and look at them from time to time. People can be arrested if they don't do it. They say 70% of the nation is hungry. And more than that, of the nation is without health care. But there's nothing they can do about it. Military service is compulsory for as long as the government desires to have a person. People can be incarcerated for any reason or for no reason. Some time ago, I was reading a story of a German prisoner of war in World War II. And he was a submariner who was sunk in a ship. His submarine was sunk off the coast of North Carolina. And they, they took him to Fort Bragg, and he spent some time at Fort Bragg. And then they shipped all the submariners. This is, this is only the government could do this. They shipped them all to Arizona. <laughs> All the German POWs. I guess get them as far from the ocean as they could get them. 
And he said that while he was traveling in a train, he said they had butlers that served them. And they were traveling in a train across the United States. He says, I was amazed at how big America was. He said, we crossed mountains and plains and deserts. And he said, we went through big cities with huge factories. He said, we saw highways and trucks and we saw all kinds of technology. He said, he wrote to his parents, we should have never started a war with America. It's such a great country. And after the war, he came to live in the United States. We have a great country and we should never take it for granted we should never, ever forget for a minute how difficult freedom is to maintain. It's a generation from being gone. You're, we're about to pass off our generation. Your generation's get, you're getting ready to pick it up. So you got to decide that you're going to defend it and protect it and maintain it and do the things that need to be done. But I want to tell you, I'm not here to talk to you about political freedom because the real freedom that we have is not given to us by the United States government. We have a lot of freedom from our United States government. Christ is the source of our real freedom. And I would tell you, and I, I, will, I will say up front, that you cannot, be, you cannot live in this world without Christ and have real freedom. And I'm going to share this piece of passage with you from John. We're going to go a little bit ahead from where we are. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 30 through 38. John chapter 8, 30 through 38. We have, uh, we'll, we'll go back a little bit next week. We'll go back to chapter 7, but we've missed some of the, uh, and, and I'm going to go back and do the, the woman caught in adultery. I'll do that. But I've skipped over some things because this is a perfect passage of scripture for today. Jesus had been in a debate with the people around him. In fact, uh, it had been quite a disagreement with the Pharisees, with the Jewish people. Some had believed, many had fallen away. A lot of his followers had left him. He was, he was really beginning to run into opposition. And he continued his teaching. And verse 30 says, and as he was saying these things, many believed in him. And Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We are descendants of Abraham, they answered him, and we've never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? And Jesus responded, Truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you really will be free. I know you are descendants of Abraham, but you are trying to kill me because my word has no place among you. I speak what I have seen in the presence of the Father, so then you do what you've heard from your father. Our father is Abraham, they replied. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus told them, you would do what Abraham did. But now you're trying to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I had heard from God Abraham did not do this. You're doing what your father does. Wow. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Speak clearly to us this morning. Amen. So I want to make, I have, I don't know if it's a short sermon, but I don't have a lot of points. I have two points. 
The first point is that real freedom is only possible through Christ. I, I want you to understand that. If you don't get anything today, that's your lesson. Don't, you can't have freedom without Christ. There are people in America that are not free. They live in a free country. They can do whatever they want, but they are not free because they don't have Christ. Jesus said, and understand that he is talking to believers here. These are people that have heard, have been a part of the debate, the argument, the discussion, and they have believed in Jesus. They have listened to him. They have accepted him, at least intellectually. And Jesus says, you, you aren't there yet. You, you haven't quite gotten there because you don't know all the things that you need to know. You haven't done, and I'm not telling you gotta earn your salvation, but, but you gotta, you gotta understand what it means. And so this shows us that even sometimes believers are confused. And then he says, if you Continue in my words, you really are my disciples. Continue. Your Bible may say abide. I like abide. That's a great word. Abide means to stay in, to stay in the same place. To you, you uh, we we used to say uh, we've camped out in this particular action. If you're studying a book, we've camped out in this book of the Bible. We're just staying right here. If you abide in the Bible, that means that over a long period of time, if you abide in God's word, you are abiding, living, dwelling. It is a part of you. It's around you. Jesus says that you, if you abide in my word, then you are my disciples. That, that is a sign of your discipleship. Now I want, I want to be careful that you don't say, okay, well, I want to be a disciple of Jesus, therefore I'm going to abide in his word. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that abiding in his word is a sign that God has done something in your life. He's, he's done the work in your life. When I, I've told you my testimony and I know that it's a little confusing because I came to Christ when I was 11 and I grew up as a Christian and I kind of got away and I stayed in the church. Now I was in the church the whole time, but I kind of got away and then God started dealing with me. And, and when I was in my forties, he began to call me to ministry. But one of the things that God did is he called me to his word. And that was the thing that I saw the first is that he ignited in me. And this is my testimony and I'm not telling you that your testimony should be the same. But what he did is he ignited in me a desire for his word. And the more that I learned and the more that I studied, the more that I grew. And that's what Jesus is saying, abiding. So, so disciples will abide in the word. It's, it's unreasonable to think that you would be a disciple of Christ and you never have anything to do with his word. I mean, it's impossible to grow in Christ without that. You have To abide in the word. Now, there's all kinds of ways to do that. Some very disciplined people do it through Bible study. They do it every day. I encourage that. Uh, We do it through corporate Bible study. We're studying the book of Revelation now. Uh, We do it in Sunday school. We do it in small group studies. You do it in, in your student ministry. You take the Bible and you study it and you learn it. Sometimes you just sit down and read it. You know, I, what I enjoy about the Bible is I like to just sit down and read it sometimes and not have an agenda. Not, not say, well, I got a, I got a sermon next Sunday. I got a lesson Wednesday night. I got a Sunday school Sunday morning. I, I got to do all. No, I like to just sit down with it because God 
God kind of, made, he, he opened it up to me. Not that I understand it. I don't get all of it. Some of it's very hard. But I desire to be with it. It's important. That's abiding in the word. And I'm not telling you so you think, oh, I'm, I'm a great person. I'm just telling you I went a lot of years and I didn't abide in the word. And I didn't grow. Jesus said that's, that's essential. If you continue in my word, he says, you really are my disciples. That's important. We got to get that church. So then he says, uh, if you continue, and, and I have a little uh, phrase up, David, you put that next word up because I want you to see how this works together. If you continue in my word, you're really my disciples. And if you continue in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. You see, God, through his word, will deliver the truth to you. Now, one of the problems we have is that if you ask somebody out on the street, what is the truth? Well, you're going to get a lot of crazy answers. I mean, in our world today, truth is whatever. I mean, truth could be something I make up. It could be my own idea of truth. It could be my own idea of of uh, of what God is. I can define God in my mind. It, there are philosophers today, and and they they will tell you that truth is changing. That's unbelievable. I mean, that's to me that I can't I can't fathom that truth changes. That what was truth last year is not necessarily truth today. And, and the freedom that we have in our country, we, we can, we can, uh, we can draw on any of these ideas. We, we can do this. You gotta be really careful not to get caught up in that. When you go to college, I assure you, you're gonna have professors that stand in front of you and say, uh, there's no truth. There's no such as truth. Truth's whatever you make it. Truth's however you define it. Truth's your definition. Well, that, that just opens up the world of possibilities for you. Most of them are bad. But that's not biblical truth. Biblical truth does not change. It never changes. In fact, it hasn't changed from the time it was written till now. Biblical truth is a solid. It's a standard. It is recorded in God's word. And not only, not only is truth what we read in the Bible, truth is what God's spirit teaches us. When we get into the word, God will teach us lessons. He'll show us this is how this applies in your life. This is why it's important in your life. And Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you will know the truth. That's the only way you can know the truth. And the truth then will set you free. That's an amazing statement. So freedom is found through lifelong discipleship in Christ. That is not the definition you will get in our country. People say freedom is whatever you want to do. Jesus is not saying that. Jesus says freedom is the result of abiding in his word and learning the truth of God. You got that, church? That's really important. Because we Christians ought to understand that. That's what discipleship is all about. If you continue in my word. Now, Jesus talks about this a lot. In, in the book of John, he, he, he tells us this. And that's one of the themes that runs through, through the, the book of John. He teaches us that we... He says... And, and not only, so we have to know truth and we have to obey it. See, that's one of the problems I used to have. I, I knew a lot of truth and then I didn't want to obey it. Jesus said, if you, if you love me, you will keep my commands. You know, that's a, that's an element of obedience. A lot of Christians say, you know, they're, they're walking encyclopedias of the Bible. 
but they don't obey what they know. You gotta, you gotta know it. You gotta obey it. You grow in it. That's, that's the way truth operates. And, uh, David, we got another slide. I want to, I want to show this. And this, these are some words. I'm not worried about the words, but, but here's the old Scott, the old theologians, the first, second century church, they defined our salvation experiences first. First, they said, you, you got to have an intellectual knowledge part of faith. You got to know a little bit about the Bible. You got to learn. Somebody shared with you your faith. You, you knew what Christ did. You understood that. And, and it, you have to know some basic biblical facts about what Christ did. And then he says that, that then, then you begin to acknowledge these things as truth in your life. You start doing them. I, I know that the Bible says that Jesus says, I, if I love him, I'll obey him. So I begin to, to obey Christ and obey the commands of the Bible as I learn more about him. And then finally, it says we act on them personally, life changing things. So you see, that's what this knowing the truth is. It's understanding and learning and growing, and that all is part of what freedom is. And you say, well, boy, that sounds really hard. That's not hard. Jesus says, real easy. The people that are really my disciples will abide, they're going to live in my word. They're going to camp out in my word. Church, we ought to be camped out in the word of God. We ought to be camped out learning about him. We ought to be camped out and listening to what his spirit tells us about the word. Now, I don't, here's, here's, I want to be careful about that. Anytime I talk about the spirit, I want to be careful. The spirit's not like, I, I saw this movie last night and the spirit of God spoke to me. Well, that probably wasn't God. But when you're involved in the study of God's word and, and you're being prayerful and, and silent before God, God can use that word to speak right into your life. That's the truth. That's very important. And Jesus said, that was necessary. That was a necessary part of freedom. It's, it's, it's very important. Now, so we talk about truth, and I told you the truth is a biblical standard. It's, it's not your idea. It's, it's absolutely, it's absolutely based on the Bible. Uh, I'll give you one example of biblical truth. Jesus said to love one another. In fact, he said, I'll give you a new command. Love one another just as I loved you. You are to love one another. By this, everybody will know that you're my disciple if you love one another. One, a biblical truth that you get from the Bible that abiding in the word can teach you. You will learn a truth that our commandment is to love one another. That's an unconditional requirement. There are some people, loving my wife is very easy. I have no trouble with that. There are some, pe- there are some people that I have, wow. That God has to teach me how to love them. Like people that say bad things about me. Or people that offend me. Or people that hurt me. Now that crowd. That, they're not so easy to love. But see Jesus hasn't, hasn't given us a break here. He said that my disciples will be known by their ability to love one another. We did a little survey the other day downtown when, when the team was here and we didn't get to survey a lot of people, but you know what is amazing? And every time we survey people and we ask them, what is the one thing that keeps a lot of people away from church? And you know what they say? Other Christians. Almost universally, they say one of the reasons that people don't go to church is they run into Christians and they don't think they believe what they are taught. Even, it amazes me that even non-believers know what we're taught. So it's important that we assign that biblical truth to our life and we live it out. And I'm not going to just talk about love. I'm talking about truth. So, so basically, um, 
when we abide in the word, that's what we get. Now, I have a little sign down. If you walk in my office on the, on the, um, you can't, can't really miss it. Walking on, see on the file cabinet. It has a little sign that Philip Yancey says. And it, it's a little quotation. He says, you will know, people will know you're my disciples if you pass laws, suppress immorality, restore decency to the nation. No. If you love one another. If, if we were going to wear a t-shirt, you know, we were all going to be a, be identified as Christian. I said, okay, for this week, church, we're going to identify as Christians. We're going to wear this red t-shirt. Everybody needs to wear it. That would identify us as a Christian. Jesus says, no, you don't do that. You love one another. That will identify the world that you're my, you're my believer and my follower and my disciple. That's the truth of the Bible. A lot of Christians, we're all kind of feeling a little uneasy because I'm starting to think about some of the people I don't love the way I need to. You probably are. That's what truth will do to you. It'll start comparing your life against what Christ has said. Truth. You'll know the truth. Truth will make you free. Only in Christ can you be free. Now, number two, second point. I know it was a little long, but I'll get there. Sometimes enslavement looks like real freedom. That's the problem. Sometimes enslavement looks like real freedom. If you go to verse 33, the... The Jews who believe, now remember, these are believers. They're believing in Jesus. They're not the ones arguing with him. But they said, we're descendants of Abraham, and we've never been enslaved to anybody. How deceived are they? They're enslaved to the Romans as they speak. The Romans occupy their whole country, and they don't think they're even enslaved. They've already missed it. How can you say you'll become free? They think they're already free. And then Jesus does, the, the, he says, we're descendants of Abraham. And Jesus said, truly, I tell you, everybody that commits sin is a slave of sin. So you see, Jesus defines slavery here as not a political issue, but it's a moral, it's a soul issue. He says, if we're enslaved to sin, we're slaves. And, and he looks around the church, he looks around the believers, he sees the Pharisees, he sees those Jews who believe, he sees the people around him, he says they're, they're all enslaved. And then he goes on and he talks about it a little bit, he says, um, in verse 35, a slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son remains, does remain forever. In other words, a slave doesn't have any real standing in the household. He might live there today, he might keep his stuff there, but one of these days a guy can throw him out and put him on the street, doesn't have anything. But a son has a right to inheritance. Jesus says, if you're, if you're a slave to sin, you have no, you're, you're no, have no place in the household. You don't belong here. One day you're just gonna get tossed out. I know, he says, you're descendants of Abraham, but you're trying to kill me because my word has no place among you. In other words, I know you're descendants of Abraham, but you don't act like it. Because Abraham was known by his faith, wasn't he? He was known by faith that changed his life. He offered his son up, Isaac, to be sacrificed. God God was pleased with that. He, He didn't want him to kill his son. But he wanted Abraham to love God more than he loved anything, including his son. And Abraham did that. All the All the shortcomings he had, boy, he did that one. Abraham, Jesus says, you guys, you guys might be Abraham's children. You just don't act like it. And he goes on down. I like this. He says, actually, he says, uh, I speak what I've seen in the presence of my father. Jesus says, I'm, I'm speaking what, what my father told me. And you guys are speaking what your father told you. 
Well, look over here at verse 44. He tells you who your father is. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires, he told him. He was a murderer from the beginning, doesn't stand for the truth. So Jesus says, I act like my father, you act like your father, if you're enslaved to sin. Let me tell you, right here is the crux of all the trouble that we have. Do you know what happens when people are enslaved to sins? They don't know it. If you ask a person with a drinking problem, do you have a drinking problem? What will they tell you almost universally? No, I'm not, I don't have a problem. I can stop anytime I want. I'll stop anytime. And meanwhile, they lose their job and their family and their home and their health and all of those other things and they just keep drinking. You ask a drug addict, do you have a problem with drugs? No, but you know, one of these days I'm going to decide to get off of it and I'm going to try to do something about it. And I'm, I'm going to work with it in my life. I, I think I can manage this. You see, we all think when we're a slave to sin, Jesus says when we're in sin, we're enslaved to it. It holds us. It's got us with an iron grip. There's no freedom there. There are a lot of people in this country who think they're free. They think they can do whatever they want, and they can. They can they can say anything and do anything and go anywhere and act any way they want. They can live any way they want. They can do whatever they wish. And Jesus said, if we live in sin, we are a slave to our sin. He said, only in truth can you be free. That's kind of the summation of that whole point. So you probably think, you're probably like I am. When you get to this point, you feel pretty bad, don't you? I mean, you think, man, that's a mess. Because you can think back in your life. I can think back in my life and I can think of things that enslave me. I can, I can think of things that, that tangle me up, that I struggle with all the time. You know, I don't know what it is about this week. But this week has brought me to this one passage of scripture more than anything else that I, I bet more in the last five years. And I don't know what it is. It seems like everywhere I go, this scripture that I haven't given you yet keeps coming up in my mind or coming up in the discussion. I met with my preacher friends of other Baptist preachers, guys we get together once a month, and, and we just share. And this scripture came up again Thursday. We talked about it for an hour and a half. And not with any agenda. But, but here's, here's, what it, here's what I learned. There's two truths in the Bible that we need to know, church. There is God's truth. There's the truth about me, of who I am, what kind of person I am. And there's the truth about who God is. Listen, if you have your Bible, turn with me over to Romans chapter 7. You all know the Apostle Paul. If you got a Bible, I really want you to put your hands on this. I want you to see this. I want you to understand this. And the first truth that I'm going to share with you as I close today, I want to share with you the truth about me. Probably the truth about you. It was certainly the truth about the Apostle Paul. Listen to this. I, before I read this, I want you to understand. Just get to remember who Paul was. Paul, the missionary that preached to more people probably than anybody other than Billy Graham. Started more churches. He walked the, almost all the Roman world. He, he went tirelessly. He, they'd throw him out of one town. He'd just get up and walk to the next one. He'd go back to that town when he got a chance. He started hundreds of churches. The Christian church grew to a million people in a hundred years. Largely because of what Paul had done. And the work he had done. After he came to Christ. 
But listen to what he said. He says in chapter 7, verse 14, he says, For I do not understand what I'm doing because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. You see, there's a truth from the Bible that all of us as Christians have a dual nature. We have two parts of us. We have a part that Christ has worked with, and we have a part that is still in the flesh. And you might not believe that. I think there are people that don't believe that. There are a lot of Christians that think they don't have a dual nature, that they got it all but I, I will assure you that if you get involved in the truth of the Bible, uh, God will show you and teach you and instruct you on your other nature. This is what Paul said his other nature is. He says, I don't understand what I'm doing because I don't practice the things that I want to do. Here's the Apostle Paul. I feel in good company now. I'm okay. This is If this is my nature and maybe your nature, we're all in good company with that. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. And then he says in verse 18, for I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. For the desire to do good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I don't do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I don't want to do. Here's the apostle Paul saying a truth from the Bible that he got into, that he got from his fellowship. He has left it to us that we can get into his word and learn it, that, that inside of us is a war going on between us and our old nature. That's the truth. I'll, you only learn that in the Bible. We don't preach on it a lot because it makes us preachers. <laughs> Believe me, it makes us real uncomfortable because it gets real close to our sin. <laughs> and I have to tell you that I struggle every day. And, I, and, and, and that, that I have to be reminded of my, my, my nature. My wife could tell you. Well, I mean, she could tell you. Yeah, you, you sure do. We have a dual nature. We have two natures. That's a truth that you learn in the Bible. You got to know that. You got to know. For in my inner self, Paul writes in verse 22, I delight in God's law. That's it. I love that. I, I I do delight in God's law. But I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man am I. Have you ever said that about yourself? I'm, I'm a broken person. Why? I believe in Jesus and he's forgiving me my sins, but I still have these struggles. I mean, that's the way Paul lived his life. He said, I'm a wretched man. That's, that's a truth right out of the Bible. Who will deliver me from this body of death, Paul writes. And then he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, I am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. That's a pretty depressing chapter, really. We could preach on that and you'd all leave out of here and say, boy, that was a bummer. <laughs> I could have done without that. But then there's another truth in the Bible that's right close to that. And this is a truth about God. You see, God knows exactly who you are. God knows your nature, and he knows my nature. Why, God knew my nature when he called me to be a preacher. He knew your nature when he called you to be a Christian. And to be a follower. And some of you are deacons and leaders. And, and you, you run in our church. And many of you share the gospel wherever you go. And you, 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 you're, you're just like that. You're, you're a wretched person too, just like Paul. We're, we're all like that. And God knew all of that. God is not surprised by us or by our nature or by our sin or by our fallibility. But in spite of all that, God still loves us. That is a truth from the Bible, church. I want you to know that. And listen to chapter 8, verse 1. The greatest chapter in the whole, the, one of the greatest verses in the whole Bible. Therefore, 
Therefore, what's it there for? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. What the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. We couldn't carry out the law. He knew that. We couldn't keep the requirements. And so God fixed it for us. That's that's the nature of the. And you know what? When you get into God's word and you get to that and you read chapter 7, you see what kind of person you are. And then you read chapter 8 and you see what God did. And you see it doesn't matter what kind of person you are because God has done the work that you couldn't do. He loves you that much. That's a truth in the Bible. Well, church, that truth will set you free. That truth will set you free, won't it? Because how many of you ever woke up feeling guilty, unworthy, unqualified, disqualified? There is therefore no condemnation. Before Christ, before God, for those that are in Christ Jesus. Now I'm not telling you to go out and live your life any way you want to. Because the more you get closer to God, the more of the truth of God you want, the less you want to live your life the way you want to. You get tired of having to ask God for forgiveness for the same stupid things, to be honest with you. But the good thing is, is that during that whole time, God loves you. And he knows you. And he's not surprised by you. And that's truth. That's why Jesus says, you need to abide in his word. That real disciples get in the word and stay there. They learn everything they can about God. And they apply that book to their life. And they let God pour over their life and make changes and adjustments. And then they know the truth of God. They know the truth of sin. They know the truth of who God is and how much he loves them. And how much he pursued them. And how much he he desires us to have fellowship with him. And what he did for us to make that possible. That's a truth that you learn. That truth sets you free. You're free. You do not have freedom without it. It's a great story. Let me pray with you. God, I thank you for your word. Now I just pray you let it pour into our hearts. Not hear it. Not just listen to it. Not just understand it. But to press it deeply in us. Lord, teach us and show us how much you love us. You've done that through the cross. You have shown us that indeed through Christ there's no condemnation. If there's one here today that feels condemnation, Lord, lead them to your cross of forgiveness. Teach them. Show them how much you love us. God, we thank you that we can go to the Bible and learn these truths. Apply it to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.